there. This is Cassia. And this is Coden. And welcome to The Evan Hawk, a podcast where we discuss the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic games and possible film adaptations, as well as Star Wars news. Today we will be discussing The Rise of Skywalker and our thoughts on the future of Star Wars movies. This is episode 9, and this is where the Babu Frick begins. Before we dive into our discussion, I just wanted to add what we're discussing today is just our opinion. If you like The Rise of Skywalker or dislike it, that's great. If you like or dislike The Last Jedi, that's great. If you like or dislike The Force Awakens, that's great. If you like or dislike the prequel trilogy or any of the other Star Wars movies, or whatever, like, you're welcome to do that, and that's great. We're just going to be discussing our opinions today, and we don't mean to offend or any of that. What you like is what you like, and that's the beauty of Star Wars. May the Force be with you. We're kind of starting off on kind of a somber tone. I mean, I think overall, just to get this out of the way, like, I enjoyed the ride of the movie though there were some issues with it i felt like it was at least an enjoyable experience what do you think cassia i really enjoyed it my my hopes were kind of low seeing the rotten tomato score and just kind of seeing kind of where the story left off uh in the last jedi but i went into it and i saw it and i enjoyed it even if it was kind of like at a neck breaking pace in the beginning out of all the sequel trilogy, I I enjoyed it the most, and it left me curious and excited about uh, the future of Star Wars. Overall, it's been a fascinating like few years just as Star Wars fans. When The Force Awakens arrived in theaters in 2015, it served as kind of like an application detailing what was in store for the future of the Star Wars franchise under the ownership of Disney. And I think at the time, we didn't no, like Disney or LucasArts, I guess, uh, as we're going to discuss here in a little bit, they didn't really have a plan for how they were going to lay out the trilogy. And previous production, we t- talked a little bit about like maybe they did, and there were some creative complications. And with yeah. with like J.J. Abrams in charge of the first film, we had a good idea what to expect. And what we received was a very safe film that didn't dive heavily into what the Force was. What It was kind of a little bit more of a retread of A New Hope. Yeah. You know, we were, we were introduced with some pretty good questions like, where did the First Order come from? Who was this Snoke villain? You know, joking in, why was Kylo Ren such a baby? I think, well, they, they definitely introduced us to characters that we would expect to kind of follow for these upcoming films like Ray, the seemingly powerful scavenger, Poe, the resistance pilot, Finn, the defective First Order stormtrooper, Snoke, the Sith Lord who came from nowhere, and last, Kylo Ren, the product of the Skywalkers. Yeah. So I think after watching that film, it was identified that not a whole lot was new, but 
for that film, but a fun Star Wars story could happen with what J.J. Abrams had initially presented. And I think what happened next is really what defined kind of what we're going to be talking about here, where 2017, The Last Jedi was released, and it was going to show us the story, how it was going to develop. That's what it was supposed to do. And build anticipation for a final climax, which was the Rise of Skywalker. And what we received was that this, you know, the, the Snoke character didn't matter. Raised parents that you were fans of, they were nobody. Uh, Luke Skywalker to be uh, this all-powerful Jedi to instruct Rey, we didn't really need him. And Finn, who had always ran away about, was about to do something heroic finally, and was stopped, you know, in this for the sake of love. And then I think. A plot point that I think they could have ran with was Kylo Ren being reduced down to, as quoted by Snoke, a boy in a mask, which definitely fueled his anger, which I think would have propelled a really good like final showdown with Snoke instead of Emperor Palpatine. Of yeah, just kind of like maybe like a righteous revenge between Kylo Ren against this really oppressive master. At the end of the day, the rise of Skywalker was just kind of a Raxus prime of a mess to work with where Ryan Johnson kind of just handed JJ Abrams just a pile of garbage and said, all right, make a third film. It kind of ended in the last Jedi and, but was still expected to release like a third movie, which is why I blame the failure of the the Rise of Skywalker is not because there were problems with the plot of Rise of Skywalker, but because there was problems with how the Rise of Skywalker was set up. I'm going to say that I think the biggest takeaway Disney should take away from the sequel trilogy is that you need to plan your trilogies, have an arc for each character. Everyone needs to have a reason to be there. You shouldn't just make Maz Kanata a Yoda knockoff because you want to have a Yoda knockoff because Maz Kanata didn't really do much, you know? A lot of these characters are kind of just uh, derivatives of, like, some archetypes and they weren't really allowed to really become their own characters and, like, have very satisfying arcs so i think disney they kind of just wanted to rush and like get a star wars film out there as soon as possible and i don't really think they had like a story that needed to be told they just wanted to tell a story to get it out there and i think that if they could have had an overall plan and like had some of the directors have to like write multiple drafts of their scripts and just kind of have some more pushback from other creative contributors, I think that we could have ended up with a stronger trilogy and stronger films because there are just so many missed opportunities and some arcs that don't really go anywhere. And I'm actually going to say that I think like Ryan Johnson could have been a really good fit for for Star Wars in my mind because I think his visuals are good and he he did some some cool stuff the Rey and Kylo dynamic but I think he should have like not been allowed to basically produce something he wrote and directed uh, the first draft of and I just wish there would have been more pushback to be like no we can't kill Snoke or 
uh, we really, I think Canto Bite is too long, or we can drop this arc, let Finn do something useful. Did you consider writing Rose kind of more in this way? Just kind of things like that. You just, I feel like Disney kind of let uh, some directors like just kind of run free and they didn't really have a goal. We're kind of left with uh, a little bit of a disjointed trilogy that could have been stronger. There was there was definitely a pacing problem with The Rise of Skywalker, but that's that's a problem that I've seen with all three films where each film just kind of moves a bit too fast and it would have been nice to slow down and explain some of these details. There, There's a lot of points, I think, throughout all three Star Wars films that they wanted you to have these really strong feelings for, but they just didn't quite deliver because some of it was due to pacing. Some of it was how they built up, you know, particular characters or events and then delivered kind of like that gut-wrenching blow. I think there were some that were pretty well done. Like, I think the Han Solo death at the hands of Kylo Ren is a really powerful moment because... Oh, really? Yeah, I'd, I've got a couple reasons for that. One, we all love Harrison Ford and Han Solo. And so it's, we already have that long buildup of who Han Solo is and you know the 47 years of the existence of star wars we 42 42 thank you of uh star wars we we watch him you know we watch him die at the hands of his son and that's kind of like the part a of why i think that moment is pretty powerful but part b is that this is this is an event that i think really changes kylo ren in a way that would have been really great for like a potential arc of Kylo Ren for the most part with the buildup of his character is that he always just kind of seemed like he was always holding on to some form of anchor of good and by killing his father it kind of severed a lot of that link to where I think he was allowed to potentially become a very compelling villain which we we didn't really see in The Last Jedi because in The Last Jedi, he was reduced to a bully in a mask. Because I kind of thought the Han Solo death was a selfish choice that Harrison Ford kind of forced upon J.J. Abrams because I feel like the plan was always, the way they presented it to Adam Driver was, we're going to start with a character who's dark-sided and he's kind of a man-child, but as he grow goes throughout the trilogy, he comes more into himself, and he becomes he turns back to the light side in the end, and he becomes more of an adult. And I think that having the character you want the audience to root for his redemption to kill Han Solo, like the most beloved character in Star Wars of all time, kind of throws several wrenches and kind of nukes that plan and like doesn't get the audience on the character's side it just made it so like the original trio of han luke and leia so they could never really share a scene again and i just didn't really i didn't really like that and i think i want to kind of finish my thought when we start going to depth with kylo ren's role in this in the film but to add to some other like pacing issues was and this is something that i think is at the fault of the last jedi 
is that what seemed like the first half of the rise of Skywalker was basically being what the last Jedi was supposed to be. It was all just set up for the climax of the film. And there was a lot of questions asked that didn't have the chance to be answered where if they were given their own like two and a half hour slot, I think the first half of the film would have been a really great second film to allow for the last half of the film to expand on a lot of those questions and be a full movie on its own with a little bit more detail of what they were going with and allowing to slow down a couple pieces like like the betrayal of Oh, what's his name? The uh, the First Order. Hux. Yeah, Hux. Like, that That was very sh- short-lived, and when he dies, you're just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, like... Because I feel like the beginning of the film, it was kind of, like, a way too fast of a pace, mm-hmm. and you just have characters stumble upon a planet, stumble into, like, some space quicksand, stumble upon the magical... MacGuffin dagger that will help them stumble upon the Death Star and find the Wayfinder and then they find the ancient Sith world of Exegol. It just seemed like there were way too many coincidences and some people just say, well, that's just how the Force works. There's lots of coincidences in Star Wars. And I'm like, not to that extent. Uh, They don't just stumble upon what they need with luck because the The force is not luck, it's destiny. And you don't just stumble upon destiny, you have to like put forth some effort, you know? Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I think collectively as a community and as, you know, we could throw Disney on this block, but I think collectively as a community, I think the force is misunderstood. And I don't think it's so much of a fault of Disney for how they implement the force and I, I just think that the those of us that are Star Wars fans, we we were kind of left with a lot of like mystery of what the Force was with the original trilogy and even with the prequel trilogy, that we created this whole extended universe of what we think like encompasses the Force and how it can be implemented, like you know, dubbing it down to what are individual force powers to, is the force midichlorians? Are they, you know, are they life forms or is it just a thing of matter that is revolving around everything? This is kind of why I wish we could have seen George Lucas's seven, eight and nine, because it was going to delve more into what the force was. And for me, like, I, I don't think like midichlorians are just the force. I just think they're like, evidence of the physical manifestation of the force like the force is just everything it's kind of like i wouldn't say it's the god of the star wars universe it just is the universe everything together and some people are just able to tap into it because they are force sensitive i just think like having the original maker of star wars maybe not right and direct but having his original ideas behind it it would have been a cool way to explore the universe and characters of Star Wars and some new characters. So it's just kind of sad that the treatments were are now owned by Disney and they'll never see the light of day. Yeah, and I mean, 
like I, I'm just kind of over the whole complaint of like everything is solved by the force because in reality like that's just kind of the one flaw of all of Star Wars is that everything kind of is solved with the force and you kind of just need to look past that and just kind of see the film as it is and let the force be defined by whoever is writing the script like as long as it makes sense then I think it'd be okay one of the examples was like I kind of label this as everybody's like major complaint point but and I I agree with one little point but I think I have a a reason of why they implemented it the way they did and I actually kind of like it but cheating death as Emperor Palpatine had put cheating death but it's it's a power that had been studied by Darth Plagueis and by Palpatine and that's what Palpatine used to lure Anakin to the dark side and just there was this I guess this pre-setup that it's never been done before and it maybe can be done for those that have tried and failed. And I really liked in this film where they do it and they do it with the explanation that to bring somebody back from the dead is essentially trading your life for theirs. And Yeah, it is interesting because like in... Uh, legends, like, especially Knights of the Old Republic, I just remember always using Force Heal. It's a light side ability that you can use to heal yourself or other people. And then, like, the dark side, you can't heal people, but you can drain, so you can take the Force from other people to give it to yourself. So I, I didn't really have a problem with, like, Force Heal. And I think that's why the Mandalorian episode seven had baby Yoda use force heal just so like people were kind of like knew it was a thing before they dove into the rise of Skywalker. I, I kind of boil it down to two different points as a Sith perspective. If we go off of this idea that you have to trade your life to rescue somebody else's a Sith has been kind of pre-established as a very selfish individual and so to think that you have to give up your life to save somebody else is just something that a sith isn't willing to do and on a jedi's perspective yoda would teach that to train yourself to let go of all those that you fear to lose because those passions are what cause problems of fear and anger and hatred and so to leave that behind, wanting to heal somebody with the force or bring somebody back from the dead from the force is an act of selfishness that the Jedi try and kind of like eliminate. I, I consider like a force heal and like a force revive different because I think I think a force heal like Ray healing the Viper. It didn't really I mean, she was capable to do it because it was a it wasn't dying. Yeah. And so I think that is like a conventional force power. That's that's great. That's fine. You know, with even if there was no repercussions for it. But to bring somebody back from the dead, I really liked how it really was that big question of if I save them, I'm not going to be able to save myself. Yeah. I think Palpatine was kind of lying to Ray 
because I think he was essentially going to take over her body once she killed his, like, whatever the heck was going on with his body. Like, it was a messed up body. I think he was just gonna, gonna take her vessel for his own because they shared blood and she had, like, a good force legacy going on, you know? So she was strong in the force. How I think Ben and Ray were able to heal each other uh, and save each other from certain death was because they were so connected through the force. So I don't think it's like you can save people every day, like from death, but I think you could definitely like force heal, like if it isn't like a major wound. I think the reason Anakin wasn't able to save Padme is just because like force heal, I think was a force ability that had kind of fallen by the wayside so it wasn't really known by the prequel era Jedi and because Anakin was kind of being a little bit well not a little bit he, he his love was a little bit selfish so I don't think he would have been able to use that ability for Padme because it wasn't about saving her it was about saving her for him for himself because he was kind of starting to turn to the dark side, be selfish, and kind of elevate his desires above everything else. Did you have any more thoughts, or should we move on to Babu Frick? Now that we've kind of cleared up how we're going to move forward with our discussion, we're just going to go ahead and take a quick um, intermission break, and then we'll be back with you guys in about 30 seconds. <laughs> The most important character in the rise of skywalker and this character's name is babu frick and he is an anzelin who lives on kajimi he works with the spice runners with zori bliss and he could reprogram and modify droids and he's just an awesome character and a gem and he's kind of given baby yoda if not a run for his money just you know some friendly competition uh one one fun fact i learned is that he was voiced by british actress shirley henderson who also voiced moaning myrtle in uh the harry potter series and it it just is blown my mind you know i think my favorite thing about this character was when they initially they land on this planet and pose like i know i know a guy that can help us with c-3po you're like all right like let's see who, let's see who this guy is and you meet that one character the uh the one that i guess was like a former love interest of pose at first i was thinking like this is the uh the person we're talking about because it's it's always kind of been this i don't know this idea of like oh i know a person and then you meet this person they absolutely hate the character that had like suggested they go see him in the first place so i was like oh here we go again and then she takes him to this workshop and you meet this little teeny completely non-understandable character that is just la laughing and cracking jokes and just pulling a wire here soldering wire there and uh almost looks like he has no idea what he's doing 
but everyone's just like, well, he's supposed to help us out, so I guess we'll just go with it. But he he's a fun character, and he helped forward the plot by reprogramming C-3PO. I found that my favorite character in the sequel trilogy with the greatest arc to be Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo, played by Adam Driver. Uh, he's just such a good actor. And I kind of, after seeing this movie, I just wish he were the main character rather than Ray to some degree. Just because I, I just find it fresh. Because Adam Driver was saying, like, the reason he took on the role is because he was told that Kylo Ren was going to start out as kind of like a, a man, baby, a boy who is, like, just angry, dark-sided. But as the series went on, he was going to come into himself and grow up and turn to the light side and become more of an adult. And in this movie, you could definitely see that arc because Kylo Ren was starting, he was starting out as the supreme leader, just kind of like he was trying to take down threats to his power, take down the pe and taking down people in his way. He remade his mask, it, like the fractured red lines and everything. And just was kind of being possessive, like, and just trying to tell Ray what to do. As the movie went on, he was becoming more composed and through the efforts of his mother and the memory of his father, he was able to make the right decision this time around and come back to the light and save Ray from certain death and... It's tragic that after he be he throws his Kylo Ren uh, lightsaber into the sea, is I don't think he really has any dialogue other than saying "ow" once he becomes Ben Solo. But Adam Driver still did a great job because you just saw him running once he landed the Tie Fighter onto Exegol. And just his whole physicality is different. He's just composed. He's mature. He's an adult. So he seems like older and yet younger because he's just, he came into his own, you know? And just the physicality, it's like Anakin and Han Solo had a magnificent baby. And that baby is Ben Solo. And he is here to save Rey with his grandfather's legacy lightsaber. And he's wearing like, a sweater made out of boyfriend material like it must be from Hollister or something and he's just ready and I'm just sad that we didn't get to see more of this light-sided version of Ben Solo because as beautiful as it is that he was able to make the sacrifice that Anakin couldn't and he succeeded where his grandfather failed in saving the woman that he loved he just died and became one with the force I guess he could say he ghosted i mean i have a lot of thoughts about kylo ren with uh with this series is kind of the part two of my earlier thought of kylo ren killing han solo is it was important for him to grow in the dark side to sever that connection but he did that to impress his new father figure snoke and when snoke still talked down on him as the boy in the mask and after destroying snoke and kind of left with kind of the remnants of everything. He really just felt bad 
about all of his decisions that had led up to after he had left Luke's Jedi Order. And I, I mean, I'm sure that he still has or had sour thoughts about Luke regardless of that whole thing, but he definitely had a connection with Ray that was beyond the Force, and he still had this connection with the parents where he may have had the childish thoughts of being parented by them. He ultimately still loved his parents, and that moment where Leia reaches out to him and all of that energy consumes her and she dies. And he just kind of has that moment of, I literally at this point have nobody that I can call mine. And and then right after that, Ray stabs him with lightsaber. And her thought of, I actually don't know why I'm doing this because you can kind of see that she recognizes that there's a huge problem. Like she knows that Leia is dead and she can see it in Kylo's face that he knows. I think it's because they are so connected and like because of the force bond, what Kylo knows, Ray knows as well, but she's able to sense that. Yeah. And then, and then you have that moment where Ray leaves. So she goes off in search of the emperor and he stays behind and we see Harrison Ford kind of reprise his role as Han Solo for just a few minutes of kind of reliving that conversation that they have on the bridge, but going a little bit different where in, instead of Kylo using that moment to sever his connection to become more of the dark side, he uses that to turn his back on the dark side he throws his lightsaber out to the sea which is at this point is a tool constructed to destroy and it's a tool that was used out of hatred and he inherits his uh, his uncle's lightsaber you know through that force connection with ray later on but once he has that moment of i i'm done being kylo ren he then realizes that Ray is in huge trouble going after the Emperor, and so he just books it to Exegol to basically rescue Ray, and and then we get into that whole point. And I I agree that I think Kylo Ren is by far the most fascinating through this trilogy, just because of how they handled him in this movie. And I just wonder if this is the end of. Kylo Ren, I feel like he either shouldn't have died or he should have come back as a force ghost at the end. And I think Rey just kind of moved on a little bit too quickly and just was celebrating with her friends. I think she had more of a reaction to Chewie's death than Ben's death. Yeah, and I I kind of disagree with Disney's, I guess, the conception that Disney has of the force ghost. I think that that it's not it's not like an afterlife condition that jedi have i i think it is more to do with something that has to be learned over time this is something that qui-gon jinn had to teach obi-wan to do and it took obi-wan several years of meditation and study in the deserts of tatooine and then he when the moment came where he knew that he couldn't help luke physically he then gave himself up to the force so that he could be with Luke always as, you know, through the force. And for Kylo Ren to appear as a force ghost at the end, to me, I don't think it would be something that 
Kylo would have earned. But maybe if there's a, a Star Wars story down the road that's part of the same timeline. Well, with maybe not the same timeline because it's all part of the same timeline, but part of the same kind of like group of individuals. Maybe maybe Ray teaches people about Kylo Ren and maybe Kylo has a part to play in like teaching a Jedi, you know, whether that's a more of a rebuke or more of just like a moment of understanding. I, I think it would be more appropriate in the future, but right at the end of the movie would have been inappropriate. I think you definitely have to train to become a Force ghost, but I think when you are part of the Skywalker bloodline, which like originally came from the Force, you're a powerful Force user, so Skywalkers or Solos kind of get a little bit of a pass when they die. And I mean, Ben kind of like, he's been all, all over the dark side, light side spectrum, and I think he grew up and learned a lot, like, inadvertently from Palpatine and Luke Skywalker, and he grew up in, in the Rise of Skywalker, so I think he did kind of earn the the ability to become a Force Ghost, but I, I suppose we'll see if he will be a Force Ghost in the future. Shall we move on to Rey, aka Rey Palpatine? I'm just gonna say I liked seeing her train in this movie and have some struggles and like struggle more against the dark side and i i kind of wish we would have seen more of this in episodes seven and eight i still kind of felt that she definitely had the least amount of progression between the three films but yeah the the exploration of her struggling with the dark side and having that i think even if they left the force awakens as is but had that absolutely just gnawing at her throughout the last jedi i would have been much much more powerful to like really bring depth to the character of ray i liked her the most i think in this movie i would have liked her more in seven if she kind of didn't instantly like learn how to be a jedi when kylo ren took her hostage in seven because it was kind of like instant everything and i just kind of believe like characters need to like struggle and learn things not just be an instant success so i i liked her the most in rise of skywalker and i think part of the fault for like having her character not struggle as much is because disney was trying to create an icon like female jedi who would be beloved through the ages but what makes a character beloved is like letting them develop like let letting them be annoying you know and like having to grow because i just don't think she struggled as much and i mean luke whined anakin was a whiny person and Kylo was a man baby, but Rey kind of just struggled with loneliness, and then she instantly found family, you know, and with the Resistance and Han Solo, and she gets the Falcon, and she gets the Legacy lightsaber. So it was just a little bit much, but I love Daisy Ridley. I just think her character could have been written better in 7 and 8, but it was interesting to see that she was related to Palpatine, I don't think it was really established much in 7 and 8, but I suppose it, like, her bloodline, and especially, like, to be related to, like, probably the most powerful Sith Lord of all time, 
kind of like shows like how she was able to learn the force so quickly you know it's just kind of funny because in eight our expectations were subverted after in episode seven and before and after disney kind of baited the fans and was like "Ooh, we want to hear your ray theories we want to hear your snoke theories and then the expectations were subverted you know to put it lightly yeah and i think ray ray got compared a lot to luke skywalker and you know ray's motivations in these films was she was you know she was a scavenger she was waiting for her parents to come pick her up and then she just kind of happens across bb-8 who was connected to finn through poe and they decided to band together when the planet was being orbital bombarded by the first order so they all board the Millennium falcon and escape and that's just kind of how she gets herself involved with the first order like there isn't really a big personal connection between her and I guess like the overall cause, the overall big picture of this trilogy. Whereas Luke Skywalker, he already kind of had this pre-existing dislike towards the Empire, but there was nothing he could really do about it. You know, he's he's just the farm kid at home, and he he lost each one of his friends one by one as they either joined the Empire or they joined the Rebellion, and he wanted to join his friends so bad, but he had to stay on for another season. And then his parents um, perish at the hands of the empire, which I think, you know, obviously you'd be heartbroken as your parental figures get murdered. But at the same time, it also allowed him to pursue being able to join his friends in this cause. And so he joins his mentor on his quest to warn the rebellion with the uh, plans of the Death Star to bring that down. And on the way, he loses that mentor figure, which causes more distaste towards the Empire. And then he finds out that his father is one of the biggest leaders of this Empire. And to rescue his father and also the knowledge that there's a overarching kind of puppet figure in the background he has to like learn his father to then like pull him back to the light side like there's the the reason why people love luke so much is because as you watch those films you really feel for why he makes the decisions he does where ray just kind of like jumps on the Matterhorn and rides the ride until it ends. Nice Matterhorn reference. You're welcome. Um, but I think they could have done more with Ray to give her more of a fulfilling arc, but I think I liked her arc here the most out of all of the sequel trilogy. It was it was nice to see Ray taken to the depths and like she risked death. I know Snoke could have killed her, but I never really feared for her life. But in nine, I was kind of like multiple times. I was like, I think Ray's gonna die. And like after she does take down Palpatine, I kind of wish that Ben and Ray could have taken down Palpatine together rather than just Ray. I think they just wanted it to be a shock when Ben comes back 
from that gulf, you know? And then, like, after she hears the voices of the Jedi, like, she she's dead, you know? And, like, she also experiences, like, 20 seconds of a romance, you know? So she kind of goes to different places in this movie, and it was nice. Now, Palpatine, I think this is, like... You know, the, Palpatine is the byproduct of them throwing away Snoke in the last movie. Yeah. I th- they could have used Snoke or they could have used the Son of Mortis, uh, but they brought back Palpatine and it just was not foreshadowed in 7 or 8 at all. And they should have... If, they, if the plan was that, and I don't really believe that was the original plan all along... They should have led up to it and foreshadowed it because it just seemed out of nowhere and you never really learn how Palpatine is back. I'm sure there will be a comic or a book somewhere that explains how, but you never learn in the movie. Yeah, in a sense, it also really kind of hurts the original trilogy plot because that whole thing was defeating evil. And, you know, surprise, they actually didn't defeat him. He's still here. And then, and then he's defeated pretty like pretty quickly and so, yeah and it's like again i think snoke just being the villain of the disney star wars franchise would have been a much more powerful end game villain mm-hmm. because one ray already hates him kylo ren already hates him and if they moved that confrontation from the last jedi to the rise of skywalker but i kind of liked the praetorian guard thing that just that whole confrontation but i i also just hated it at the same time like if they just kind of found a better way to have that be the climax of the rise of skywalker would have been a much more satisfying conclusion i think to this movie but yeah having him back i felt that the title crawl for episode 9 was probably the laziest tile crawl in all of Star Wars. Because you can tell, like, they're just like, yeah, Emperor Palpatine's back. Because he's back. You know? And it doesn't really explain it. And then the intro shot is probably, I, I thought it was the weakest of all the opening shots of all the Star Wars movies. It was kind of just like some TIE fighters going to a planet and then you're instantly down on the planet. And I think just the biggest problem with the whole Palpatine and Ray Palpatine thing is that like, you know, here we are, Ray's like, Luke told me enough. He told me that you killed my parents. And the Palpatine be like, no, I am your grandfather. And it's just like... Yeah, it just kind of seemed out of nowhere. It was it was a joy to have Ian McDermott back, but there just wasn't enough build-up. But, I mean, it's good to have the original guy back. And It's just, like, the whole I'm your father, like, mic drop moment has only been done good once. And it yeah. was The Empire Strikes Back. Like, there's been a bunch of spoofs over that whole thing. There have been other films that have tried to mimic the success of that kind of like surprise and it just never works because they just can't top the Darth Vader revealing to Luke that he's Luke's father. And so 
it just seemed like a just a really cheap cop out for this story. It was interesting to see how different he looked and to have him defeated one last time, surrounded by were those like Sith Gregorian monks or something? They never really explained that. It took me a while to realize that those things in the background weren't just like moving bats or something. They're, I think, Sith apparitions or ghosts or something. But I actually yeah. think that they they were a species native to the planet hmm. and because you know this is so this planet is supposed to be like way out in the unknown regions uh, which is where kind of the sith regroup their forces from their territory to invade into the galactic republic territory and so i think this race is just used to like aid the sith and you know they're probably responsible for the construction of all those star destroyers they were probably responsible for the construction of a sith lightsaber which i i know we've had this discussion of um the lightsabers just being become corrupted through the deeds of the jedi turning into a sith but like there's you know darth vader had to get his new lightsaber from somewhere i think that that would have been a good place for him to get it just more of the legends canon lore i think that planet is the perfect like setup for drummond cause well it's it's just the perfect setup for like the sith kind of re like their home world yeah home world where they they corabon and moribond are are set up but the sith have like a couple worlds in legends and i think that can be like drummond cause so, mm-hmm. yeah. I like how Kylo, that whole sequence of how he had to get there, because being the unknown regions, that is all uncharted stuff. And so how he had to kind of use that um, wayfinder. Yeah, that wayfinder to get there through the nebula, black holes and everything. Like, I thought that was cool. That was a really great scene. Probably one of my favorites in the movie. So I think like in this movie... It was evident that Finn was supposed to be force sensitive because at the beginning of the movie, he's like, Ray, I need to tell you something. And at first I was like, oh, is he going to say that he loves her or something? But, and I mean, he might love her, but I think he's unfortunately been friend zoned. I think what they were going for was Finn felt things. He knew which ship out of all of them to target he knew when ray died so i think he w- he was using the force and he's force sensitive kind of like leia was in the original trilogy yeah i liked finn much more in this film than the other two films i really wish that this was the finn that we got last film and yeah we had like a much more confident and powerful finn for this film and i agree along the same lines of ray i need to tell you something i feel the force I think Finn really wanted Ray to help him learn how to use the force, how to how to control it, how to I guess use it and not just have it be there as a feeling. And I think that if if that was kind of the conversations we were having in the last Jedi and then seeing Finn as a Jedi in this film would have been really cool for his character. I still kind of feel like they could have done more with the stormtrooper becoming a rebel, but I think this is the best arc he's gotten. 
in the sequel trilogy. I thought it was good. I did think it kind of stretched believability when he met Janna. I accidentally called her Xana. Xana is Darth Bane's apprentice, but he meets Janna on the world with the Death Star wreckage. And she says, like, our whole squadron refused to fire on innocent civilians. I just don't think that could ever happen in the history of military anywhere if you have child soldiers who are like brainwashed their whole lives. I just thought that her character was really weak and that I think that there was more important things that we could have explored with Finn if we didn't have that distraction. I liked her character but he could have probably spent more time with Poe or Rose. Rose wasn't in this movie as much and I I kind of think like having a different writer and director I think Rose like is a good character you know in this one she wasn't really given much to do but I think the main faults with her character is like she was just kind of given some annoying things to say and do in The Last Jedi but I mean I like Janna it was interesting to run into more First Order stormtroopers who who turned on the Empire, but I think they didn't do as much with it. But it'll be interesting to see the future of his character, if they're going to do any like more comics or books after the movies, if he's going to become a Jedi. I mean, it even would be fun. It's not going to happen. But if they made like a Disney Plus show where like Finn and Poe kind of did some missions for the Resistance or New Republic or whatever it's called now because there's not really a whole lot of world building and like establishment of what the political structure looks like in the sequel trilogy must be the last republic the last republic no but then there will be no more republics after this this is the this is the last one you're getting so and it better stay put, you know. But yeah, uh, Poe was given more to do in this film. And because I think like in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, he's probably in them about like less than 30 minutes between both of those films. So it's just nice to spend more time with that character. It, and it's honestly just nice to have Ray, Poe and Finn spend more than five minutes together. And I just wish we could have had more time with them all together as a trio, you know, in seven and eight, because when they hug at the end of the film, I mean, I bought it for the most part, but part of me didn't believe it. I bought it for the actors that they were hugging, but not quite for the characters, because some of the times when they're interacting together, they're kind of grating on each other and kind of like sniping at each other. And there's not as much camaraderie, you know? Yeah, I think Poe, it was evident that he felt like he was the third wheel interfering with Finn and Ray, and he just wanted to be part of like the group. It was a little bit of evidence that like he felt that he was kind of being pushed to being kind of along for the ride up until the point where they go and rescue Chewie, I think is where he's able to really take charge, which I mean, I, I like that scene. I thought it was reminiscent to raiding the Death Star when they were in uh, Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer. Because, yeah. And I think there was just a lot of callbacks running through the hallways. It would have been even better if they actually donned the Stormtrooper armor to disguise himself, but I, I can't have everything. I liked most of that. And then 
it, it was a little convenient that Kylo Ren had a fascination of laser crossbows because what was that doing in his personal quarters for Ray to find? Like it wasn't part of just some weapons locker that was attached to the saw block. I, I like that Poe was able to show he's a good pilot. He became a general. It was interesting to learn that he had a spice running past. Carrie Russell's character Zori Bliss wasn't used enough. But it was just kind of interesting to see like there were there were people in his in his past and he kind of left him behind to join the resistance. Speaking of the resistance, Leia's scenes, you could tell that she wasn't around anymore and part of me almost wonders if they should have just killed off her character in episode eight or if they should have used what they could have from archival footage and maybe had like someone who looked like her you know or just have a cgi character because in some ways i would rather have a story that lasts the test of time rather than not offend people on Twitter right now. Because in 20 years, people will be like, well, Leia really didn't do much in her last movie. And like, all she does to bring her son back from the dark side is say, Ben, you know? And I just think Princess Leia is an iconic character. And I, I wanted to see more of her or just have more definitive end for her character rather than have her only say things when she her face was turned or seen from the side, you know? Yeah, this was this is a pretty difficult call because I really like how they used her to have that turning point of Kylo Ren. But the the catch point too is that, you know, she passed away and so it was hard to pull off and pull off good. This is another one of those things that because Ryan Johnson had almost killed her off in the last film, they should have just left her killed off and found another way to bring Kylo Ren back. But also, the I think the turning point of Kylo Ren could have also been in The Last Jedi with maybe that same style of influence with Leia, but spend more time of this film of maybe Kylo at the beginning of the film still kind of struggling with the events of his mom dying and being reprimanded by Snoke and then flipping sides and helping Rey towards the end. It's it's difficult with Leia because I think they were on the right track with how they use Leia in this film, but I mean, they were dealing with scraps with the events of her passing away. Yeah, so it's like no matter what you do, you can't please everyone and you're going to be limited no matter what you do but I, I don't know what the perfect solution would have been. But speaking of Leia, her twin, Luke makes an appearance in this film, and that was never meant to be a spoiler. Like, when they announced the film, they announced Mark Hamill was going to be in it, because I think that Disney kind of realized they, they made a boo-boo with uh, The Last Jedi. And what they did was when Rey was going to throw the legacy saber into the fire, Luke caught it and he said, a Jedi's weapon deserves respect. And he goes on to say, I was wrong to run away and not face my fear and confronting fear is the legacy of the Jedi. And it was a good, it was a good scene. And 
actually that line confronting fear is the destiny of the Jedi. It it's stuck with me in my own life, you know, like you should confront fear. So I thought they, they utilized Luke Skywalker well in this film. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest issue with the character of Luke was how they handled his backstory. I didn't really hate how he had to behave through the last Jedi. Like, I think, I think it, to have that bitterness of kind of the events that took place it is interesting yeah and kind of how he how he starts the film thinking the way he does and then at the end of the last jedi how he decides to use his power to cause that distraction for the for the resistance to escape like i i don't mind all that i never liked how his decision to try and prevent a sith being born from his teachings to murder him like that's like so unluke to deal with a situation like that and have that be the reason why he's bitter was out of place i thought he was handled a whole lot better in rise of skywalker when ray is trying to defeat palpatine and failing she hears the voices of some jedi she hears luke of course her master anakin skywalker hayden christensen's anakin skywalker so that was nice and obi-wan ewan mcgregor and alec guinness versions and then yoda qui-gon jinn mace windu and ayla sakura from the clone wars you know voiced by jennifer hale who's also voiced uh satel shan and Bastila Shan, and luminara unduli from the clone wars and adagalia from the clone wars and Ahsoka Tano from Clone Wars and Rebels, and Kanan Jarrus from Star Wars Rebels. So it was a fun little bit of Easter egg of the Jedi coming to Rey's aid to help her. I just kind of wish that, because Rey, in her darkest moment, the Jedi come and help her, and Anakin helps her, but it just doesn't make sense because Anakin would never leave Kylo Ren or Ben Solo to fend for the for himself i don't think he would just be like well ben solo and kyle ren are having a hard time too bad for them you know so i think the jedi and especially anakin should have reached out to ben solo in the sequel trilogy yeah that's but a... i think disney didn't want to go with that because they're kind of prequel phobic yeah i think that would have been an interesting point where kyle ren kind of idolized the idea of darth vader and if if Anakin Skywalker was like, hey, like let me let me tell you a, a little bit about like what happened, it'd have been kind of interesting. But you know, we don't we never really knew what was going on with that. I I did find that scene where Emperor Palpatine was like, I am the Sith, and Rey was like, and I am the Jedi was basically like life for line of I am inedible. I am Iron Man snap. <laughs> like, I guess Disney is kind of plagiarizing themselves because I kind of felt like the turnaround Poe, you know, and you see like ship on top of ship on top of ship. I have no idea how Lando and Chewie got that many ships. It'll be, you know, revealed in a comic book one day, I think. But yeah, that was, that was that definitely was a, end Yeah, so. that was a lot like uh, hey, hey, Poe, mind your left. And then, yeah, everything comes in hyperspace. There was, there's been some jokes about that. And 
it it's definitely obvious so the jedi voices were a nice touch uh some good disney synergy going on with clone wars and rebels and it's kind of good promotion for clone wars even good job going there you know i found the acting to be to be good in this movie uh i especially think adam driver did an excellent job because he was able to convey just basically through the physicality that ben solo was totally different than Kylo Ren. I think Rey stood out and Finn. The only person I didn't really love the acting of was General. I just thought he was doing a little bit too much of like an over-the-top impression of a Nazi, basically. It's just kind of a far cry from the original Grand Moff Tarkin. I, I, I do agree that I think most of the cast members were much more seasoned to act in this film the the first two films i mean there's just so much awkward dialogue in the first two films that's mainly why i just didn't like finn was that everything he said was like so unbelievable and poe poe didn't really have a lot of dialogue but i mean he was okay and Ray, who was just kind of her Mary Sue self. And, and then you have like General Hawks, who was also just kind of over the top. And Kylo Ren, that it, it was really hard to believe that he was a bad guy through, especially just The Force Awakens. And in contrast with this film, where Poe's dialogue was good and Finn's dialogue was really good, Ray's dialogue was for the most part good except for her line where she's like you don't think you know me or you think you know me but no one does it's like a kelly clarkson line <laughs> um <laughs> and uh and then yeah adam driver just night and day difference between his kind of boyish attitude to being this like this actual likable individual and and i love the scene where he goes to rescue Rey and he does it without his lightsaber. Like one of the things that I love seeing was a Jedi not relying on their physical tool to basically tackle a situation. He he walked in there completely relying on using the force and he almost was overpowered. But when Rey recognized that he was there, she hands him his uncle's lightsaber through the force and then he completely overpowers the Praetorian Guards and comes to her aid. And correction, not Praetorian Guards, but Knights of Ren. Yeah, I mean, they're both kind of, you know, forgettable and just created for marketing purposes. But... They'll make but good yeah. action figures, you know. I mean, that's what they're for. Same with this droid Dio, you know. I just thought it was funny when the Knights of Ren, like, first appeared. And one of the Stormtroopers was like, Knights of Ren, and then the other one is like goals, and I'm like, oh boy, like I kind of I rolled my eyes there. So yeah, overall, we kind of discussed this at the beginning, but the writing, I think they did as best as they could. Um, just kind of a rushed pace. I just wish Disney could go back with the end in mind and just kind of make a trilogy, but alas, this is what we have, you know. So overall. I enjoyed The Rise of Skywalker the most out of, like, the sequel trilogy, I would say. I'm guessing in the future I'll come to appreciate the sequel trilogy more given time and seeing kind of, like, what mythology kind of comes out of it. But we'll see. And we'll see how the kids of the future, well, the kids right now when they grow up, like, if they kind of come to 
appreciate like the kids that grew up with the prequels like I'm one of them like I think they're a great story but the the adults when they were watching it they're like this is horrible you know so it'll be interesting to see what happens yeah I heard a good comment about how like we we perceive the Force Awakens trilogy a particular way but you know there's curiosity to tell what you know, 20 years down the road, what people will say about these films because they'll be unaware of the politics of the time. They'll be, you know, they'll be watching the movies purely for the stories that they are. And so it'd be just interesting on if The Last Jedi is perceived to kind of be that sore thumb, kind of the unneeded sequel of the franchise. If The Rise of Skywalker is as loaded with plot holes as it is and if the force awakens was just a kind of rehash of a new hope it'd be you know it's gonna be interesting 20 years or so from now to see if kids or if people that were kids now watching these feel that way when they've matured as you know uh ray and and kylo kind of experience a force bond in seven and eight and in episode nine, it's referred to as a dyad. Uh, Kylo Ren says, uh, we're two that are one in the force. Uh, and Palpatine says, your connection is like a power, like life itself. So it's kind of like this dyad, like it's like Kylo and Rey or Ben and Rey are kind of like two halves of the same person in the force. And Palpatine said, like, you're the first one in, like, generations and thousands of years to have, like, a bond this deep. And I just, like, when I heard that, I think if if anything else, like, hadn't happened in this movie, like, when I heard that, like, I fell in love with this movie because I was, like, they basically kind of confirmed, like, Revan and Bastila right then. Yeah, and also, I, I can't remember where it's stated, but there's a reference to one of the Sith Trooper Battalions, so one of the Red Stormtrooper Battalions, being known as a Company Revan. Yeah, Revan is officially canonized in the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. They talk about the Sith Troopers, and they say that the Sith Trooper Third Legion is named Revan. So I'm kind of thinking that Disney is slowly hinting that... The next trilogy is going to be involved with Knights of the Old Republic somehow or the next adaptation or whatever movie. So it just seems like steps are being taken. So I'm I'm excited. It's like kind of what we've been talking about throughout like this this podcast, you know, in episode one, we were talking about the the treatment that was being written by Leia Calagritis. So I feel like this is foreshadowing for a Knights of the Old Republic adaptation. Do you think that's what they're heading for? I think so. Uh, one of the thoughts that I had was that I I kind of hope that they still kind of test the waters a little bit for what they want to both present to the fans and also understand what the fans want with Star Wars before they uh, tackle Knights of the Old Republic. I really like a lot of these just one-off attempts that they're doing, like The Mandalorian, like Solo, and like Rogue One. And I loved Rogue One. I wasn't in love with Solo, but... 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Solo had its flaws like this movie, but overall was still a pretty safe Star Wars film to its source material. And so, again, it was like they, they kind of experimented with some things with Rogue One, and then they kind of went back to being a little safe for Solo. Yeah. And I I would I want to see that balance where we can see some new stuff that's also respectful to what's already out. Yeah. And explore things like, you know, the, the Kenobi story, I, I hope is really good. And I mean, Deborah Chow's directing, and I think she's directed, like, the best episodes of The Mandalorian, like, episodes three and episode seven. So I, I'm thrilled, and Ewan McGregor's involved, so... And and he it would seems be pretty, pretty hard to miss up. Yeah, he seems pretty excited about it too. Like I, I'm really excited to see how they handle this Obi Wan series. If it's a trilogy, if it's like a whole TV series. So Obi Wan, it's I think they said it's going to be a six part season. Okay, so. so just a so a season, and it's going to be about six episodes. I mean, I I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I mean that's basically like three movies, give or take. You know. Yeah. So I'm happy. And so and so like you know this will be a great kind of testing ground and like I would like to just see some if they want to experiment a little bit just have some stories of Star Wars that have nothing to do with just some lore that's already been attempted to be established and just kind of tell a new Star Wars story. Maybe they can use that time period between the Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens to tell maybe a little more backstory of how the First Order came to be in a more film adaptation and not just the comics. Yeah, or video games or The Mandalorian. Yeah, so. and then maybe even explore some of these characters that we saw a little bit of but would like more depth on, like maybe a not a sequel to The Rise of Skywalker, but a movie after The Rise of Skywalker that we get to learn more about Finn or we get to see a movie that's dedicated on Poe or a new film with Ray. Like, I think there's a yeah. lot of great opportunities that Disney has. The future is wide. Uh, even the past, the past and future of the Star Wars universe are open wide and full of wonders and Let's make some memories, you know? I think the key, if you're adapting Knights of the Old Republic or doing something else, is begin with the frickin' outline or find some existing content. Like Knights of the Old Republic, you have an excellent game that's, like, renowned for its plot and its characters. All you have to do is kind of, like, present it in, like, three movies or three seasons or whatever you want to do, you know? So I think they should, like... I mean, I obviously, you know, like, love Knights of the Old Republic. Otherwise, why am I doing this podcast, you know? But I think, like, with Knights of the Old Republic, you have the existing content. It's beloved, and it's 4,000 years before, like, everything we know. So it would have new but familiar locations, new but familiar visuals, new but familiar characters. Because you still have Jedi, you still have Sith. It's just there's a whole lot more... Sith and you're kind of fighting like a Clone Wars-esque battle but it's like tons of force users against like tons of force users it's like a Jedi civil war you still have like 
the Jedi, but they're a little bit different. They're on a lot more worlds. You have the Republic and everything, but and you have the Mandalorians. So well, I think it would be great. Yeah, it's a whole different uh, age where you know, there's use of the three different classifications of Jedi, where you have the Jedi Sentinels, which are Jedi that are dedicated to planets to help maintain local order. You have the Jedi Knights that are kind of the dispatched Jedi that maybe like a Jedi Guardians. Yeah, they maybe a Blue. Sentinel needs some help, and so they send out the Jedi Knight or a pair of Jedi Knights to help the Sentinel bring bring balance back to the local government. Then you have the Counselors, which are those that are kind of the teachers of the Force, those that study and meditate and then pass their knowledge down to other Jedi. That's it's kind of like the Old Republic way of the Jedi. And then the Sith wasn't just the master and apprentice of that day. They were they were a whole people. and Yeah, different kinds of Sith as well. Mm -hmm. Different kind of, so many different kinds. And like Revan kind of had his own way of things. Malak had his own way of doing things. And later on, the Sith Triumvirate had their own way of doing things. It's It's a fascinating era that is rich to be cracked. I think the key is to get someone who loves and understands Star Wars and what fans need and what they want. Because I don't think you should just like do fan service and make fans happy all the time, but that doesn't mean you should make them angry and not give them what they want. The key is to tell a good story, not just to scratch fans' backs, you know? Or just, like, make fans angry, you know? And I forgot to say, Ray had a yellow lightsaber. And basically, when I saw that, I'm like, I don't care what anyone says, but Basla Shan is canon. We can get real technical. Like, the yellow lightsaber is a sentinel designated yeah. blade. Like, temple guards and, like, sentinels had them. But and just I... when I saw that, like, to have, like, Ray and Kylo, like, have a force bond and have her have a yellow lightsaber, it does kind of make me worry if Disney lifted too much from Revan and Bastila, if they were to make Revan and Bastila, I just wonder if people would be like, ha, they're copying Rey and Kylo, you know, but it's the other way around. Yeah, that's just something for us to course correct when, when all those YouTube comments show up for those future films. But I think, I think to, to wrap things up, like, uh, the overall message of the Rise of Skywalker, there, there's two messages that were brought up that I thought were really good. The first was that anybody can change. We saw that with Luke. We saw that with, with Kylo Ren. Yeah, to Ben Solo. We even kind of saw that with, uh, with some of our cameo characters like um, Han Solo as he... He was just kind of the bitter old man, and then he comes back in Ben's memory to, like, course correct him, you know? And yeah, a good father figure. Yeah. And the other was, this was a bit more subtle, but it was actually a kind of a fun little Easter egg, was that, that that celebration on that planet happens every 42 years. Mm -hmm. And this film kind of had this underlying thing of like an apology of what happened with the last jedi and i think jj abrams idea was that this this film is a celebration of star wars the the nostalgia the the callbacks we we want to 
we want to celebrate Star Wars and produce a great story. And I think that's very appropriate to the future of Star Wars of the reins have been handed over and we want to like continue this legacy of just great stories that can happen in the future. Yeah. And guess what happened 42 years ago in 1977? The release of Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah, the future looks good for Star Wars, uh, so I'm excited. All right, this has been Coden and Cassia. You can find us at twitch.tv forward slash Bond, where I'll be streaming games like Jedi Fallen Order or Nice Hill Republic. Uh, you can find when I go live there. You can email us your comments and questions at ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram is the Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman. He can be found at http colon slash slash alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker. He can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. And this has been episode 9 of the Evan Hawk. Take care of yourselves, meatbag, and may the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. Thank you.